Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today we're welcoming Reverend Kinsey Tate to the show. Kinsey is the founder and executive director of Restore Clergy, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to support clergy with programs that improve wellness to cultivate faithful and sustainable ministry. She is a licensed professional clinical counselor and has a private practice where she has facilitated growth and transformation for clients for over a decade. She completed her MDiv at Phillips Theological Seminary and was ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in 2007. She served as an associate minister for three years prior to returning to complete her Master of Education in Applied Behavioral Studies at Oklahoma City University in 2010. She became a licensed professional counselor in Oklahoma in 2012 and a licensed professional clinical counselor in California in 2021. She was certified as a truce coach in 2022. She lives in California with her spouse, who is United Methodist clergy, serving in a local congregation and their three school-age children. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am... uh, Recording again from Phillips Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and pleased to be joined today by the Reverend Kinsey Tate. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. We already had a great conversation before we started recording, so hopefully some of that might make it into this conversation here. Uh, Share, if you would, just kind of about yourself and uh, what makes you you. So I... um... I'm currently living in California, but I am originally a Texan, and then I was in Oklahoma for like 17 years because my husband is an Okie, and I went to Phillips Theological Seminary, and so that's where we met, um, and we were both in ministry in Oklahoma for a while. Um, After that, I, you know, I was in ministry for three years and then really kind of realized that pulpit ministry, you know, Mm -hmm. traditional, what we think about as ministry was not the best fit for me. Um, But I really loved the um, premarital counseling and some of the one-on-one work that I was doing with congregants. And so I went back and got a master's and became a therapist. And that is absolutely my jam. I love Mm. it. It is such a better fit and it really does feel like ministry. But I was really just kind of in the, the secular realm with that. I did have people that, you know, um, they came to me because they liked church talk and all that kind of stuff, right. and I understood it. Um, but yeah, like we're in California now. He's in a church. Um, I have my private practice, and then I also started Restore Clergy. So we have three kids. Um, that's a lot of work, and that's another reason yeah. why yeah. like, um, I transitioned to do something else because I had more flexibility. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah. Those are the things that we're doing right now. Definitely staying busy. Yeah, we'll we'll be talking about your work here with Restore Clergy in a bit. Share if you would kind of about your faith journey, what that's looked like in the past and what that looks like today. Yeah, so I grew up disciples, but I did not know that that was a denomination. I thought we were non-denominational. I went to like— Interesting. Yeah, I went to like First Christian Church. My parents, um, I think my— 
dad was kind of loosely Episcopalian, and I don't really know what my mom was, but um, when they got to the little town I grew up in, um, they found the Christian church and they just liked it. It was a good fit. Mm -hmm. So even when I went to college and I was like involved in the campus ministry, um, I still thought we were non-denominational. And my best friend was like, no, it's a denomination. I was like, oh. So um, yeah, I was always involved in the church, had really strong youth group. Um, and then when I went to college, I was involved in the Disciple Student Fellowship on a campus of UT Austin. That's where I went to uh, school. And my campus minister, um, as I was in school to be an art educator, you know, because I was like, I love art, but it's got to be practical, you know. Um, she was like, I think you have a call on your life. And I was like, what? Hmm. What are you talking about? Right. And so I went to seminary thinking, I'm going to be a missionary and I'm going to travel around the world. Yeah. And I was actually just talking to Myrna Jones here at Phillips, and she she always kind of laughed and um, thought that that was I don't I don't want to be patronizing, but it's like kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. Know? One of those things of like yeah. wide-eyed and and thinking those things, but um like I said, I went into traditional church ministry. Um and there were things I liked about it, but there were a lot of things that I didn't that were hard. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it was back in the late 2000s um into the 2010s and um, that shift into the church is really changing. Yeah. How is this going to be sustainable? Um, what am I doing? You know, that kind of thing just felt really bad. And so um, I made a shift. And I really do feel like God called me mm-hmm. to be a therapist. Um, it is definitely living into my giftedness. And so, yeah, the, the circling all the way back to I'd done that for 12 years. I still continue to do that. And um, now Restore Clergy is kind of bringing everything together. Yeah, yeah it really which is. Which is awesome. Well, for our, for our, for our actual non-denominational listeners, uh, there is, Kinsey and I are both ordained in the denomination of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. We're, we're recording today is, um, is a seminary in the Christian Church denomination tradition. So shout out, I always like to say shout out to the home team mm-hmm. today. <laughs> We're playing for the home team today. Yeah, uh, spiritual practice you uh, that's been meaningful for you. You might recommend. So something that I um, really love, what I have discovered is the, a type of mindfulness I do is really about movement. Mm-hmm. So I've tried traditional like meditation, and uh, I have a really hard time with that. Now that doesn't mean that I don't just need to practice it, right? But what really works well for me is walking out in nature. Hmm. So where I live right now um, in Newport Beach, Cal- Beach, California, we have a you know beautiful place to live, and so I can go and walk um, along trails or you know just in our neighborhood. And that, for me, really helps calm down my nervous system and really Mm -hmm. helps me, like, if I'm feeling jittery, like, maybe I had too much caffeine, you know, need to burn some of that off. Um, That really helps me. And I also really experience the divine and the holy and moments of awe and joy out in nature. And Mm -hmm. I always have. Um, And so that is my go-to spiritual practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. So. we're recording again, like I said, live today from Philip Seminary, and we're at 
the Remind and Renew conference here, and it's in January. So if you'd like to check out any of the sessions, I think they should be available for recording. The interview um, will have released before this with uh, Reverend Dr. Session. I also have an interview with Dr. Thelma, who spoke here. You can check out for our listeners uh, a few episodes prior. Uh, but Kinsey's here to talk about her work with Restore Clergy. So we're going to have this conversation, and I'm frankly a little nervous because uh, I'll try not to uh, t- to be, you know, hopefully my stuff doesn't get revealed too much, <laughs> and this isn't turned into a counseling session. Uh, but why don't you talk just t- to begin, talk about like how Restore Clergy came about, what really was driving you and motivating you to to do it. Yeah, so it was, you know, kind of like I mentioned, it really was a, a spirit-led kind of culmination of all of the um, knowledge I have, all of the experience I have. Um, I, so my husband and I were in Oklahoma, and um, he was in January of 2020 in L.A. Hmm. Um, at a, uh, like a church leadership conference. Yeah. Um, he's United Methodist. And so um, there they were um, discussing with the bishop and the bishop, you know, made a comment about like having churches out here and all that kind of stuff. And so um, he just called me and it was literally January 10th of 2020. I remember the day. And um, he said, uh, you know, like the bishop made this comment. Like, what do you think about that? And um, I was like, okay, like, why not? Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go. So, um, it was, we were in LA County, um, in L- like Glendale, which is adjacent to LA on March 15th of yeah. 2020 yeah. when it shut down. Um, and we were there for the seating, um, at his church. And so, um, you know, we were going to make a family vacation out of it. It was spring break. <laughs> we're going to take our kids to Disney. Yeah. That changed. We were going to fly. That changed. So we drove all the way there and then all the way back wow. in like 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a real intense period of time, but it was COVID. I mean, it yeah. was like like lockdown COVID. Right. So we were like, you know, all that anxiety on top of, you know, the anxiety of starting at a new church, new, moving new across the live. country. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the cultural shift right. from like, Oklahoma City to basically LA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that summer we did that. And, you know, I like to joke that we were like the Beverly Hillbillies, just like going out there and, you know, with our kids and all our stuff. And um, so that really began the, I don't know how to really describe it. And and I'm in this space right now where I'm really starting to reflect on that as I tell this story multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm realizing is like, that was a lot bigger deal than I realized at the time. You know, like when you have, when you're in it, you just go and you just do it. And it's like, we got three kids, we got to figure this out, yeah. you know, whatever. Right. You, just, you just go. And now I really think I'm in this space of getting into stability and I'm reflecting on like, that was a big freaking deal. Yeah, it was you know? really hard. It right? was really, really, really hard. hard. Yeah. And so out of that, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure I was depressed, mm-hmm. you know. You know, it's the whole thing of like, I'm a therapist and I know what depression is, but it's really hard to see it in yourself. Mm-hmm. But I knew something was not okay. And so I was going through actually a coaching program. It's called um it was called Truce with Food. And then there's a certification that's called Truce. And I did the certification and that's what restore clergy, that's the 
the foundation of it and then just bringing in all of my other knowledge to create this curriculum to deal with burnout. And what I'm realizing is I really just thought it was my husband, Chris, that was like burned out. And I'm like, Hmm. no, no, girl, you were burned out too. (laughs) It just looked different. Um, So that is really kind of where the passion came from. Um, And then I was, uh, part of the NBA SENT cohort, Mm -hmm. and that's a social entrepreneurial program. um, And they really helped me form Restore Clergy into a nonprofit. Yeah. So before I was just going to kind of do it out of my private practice and and I was working with individuals, but then I had this um, opportunity and people were like, that's really a great thing. You know, like this is really needed because we all have the data about clergy burnout, you know, like it's all there, but there aren't a ton of programs that are actually addressing it. And it's like, I can do this, like, yeah. and I want to do this, and I feel called to do this. Um, so that program really helped me create Restore Clergy as a, a 501c3. Mm-hmm. So with that, the beauty of that is that I can get donations to help offset the cost for clergy, because we know clergy right. don't like a lot of money. Right. Um, but because the program's a year long, because there are two in-person retreats, and I feel like those are really important to build cohesion, to build safety mm-hmm. um, for the cohort, um, it, it is, it's costly. Yeah. And so um, it is a commitment but um already the people that are that are in the program are talking about how just after the in-person retreat at the very beginning how much better they feel yeah how how much they feel um i had them take the i think it's the francis burnout inventory it's called the fbi okay. um so i'm kind of tracking data but i i had them take that and due to a clerical error <laughs> They had to take it before and then right after oh. the in-person retreat. And they're already, wow. there's already reduction. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see you after might, the year-long You year might long keep program. that method going. Yeah, yeah. That's actually, I hadn't thought about that, yeah. but that's a good idea. Yeah. The only thing is, is I don't know whose is whose. That's why I had to have them retake it. Oh. So it was just <laughs> me learning technology, you know, I mean, like. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, that's good though. It's kind of like a blind study then, I guess. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, all of that stuff, you know, like tracking data, because I do want to understand. I love the numbers. I'm not a researcher. Mm-hmm. I am at heart, but right. I, the statistics and all right. that kind of stuff are not uh, my strength. But I do like to notice and I want to see what areas is it impacting? Where do I maybe need to make adjustments? How can I grow? I'm very much a person that's like, okay, this is an experiment and we're going to learn what we can learn. And then we're going to grow and change and make it um, even better. And and I am getting even better like as I do this. And so right. I even think about that in my individual sessions of what am I learning for my clients? Mm-hmm. And how is that helping me to grow as a therapist and as a person? Because I learn things about myself in even these conversations we're having right now. Just like I said, I'm like, I am just really realizing how impactful that burnout was on me mm-hmm. and and how much that experience being at that congregation helped me to learn about myself. Um, but it takes time for us to process this. And that's another reason why the program's a year long. Yeah, I know a lot of people are like, that's a really long time. It's a big commitment. Right. But really, it's just like twice a month mm-hmm. via Zoom in the middle. And then the and the retreats are really meant to be like rest and renewal retreats. Mm-hmm. And maybe thinking of it as like, if you don't have sabbatical, maybe this is a sabbatical light right. kind right. of option. Right. So let's dive into the topic of burnout. Again, speaking of this conference we're at, we just saw a presentation by Dr. 
Dr. Thumma talking about some, what I found fairly startling statistics, or at least troubling. Um, he spoke about a pretty significant rise in clergy discontent, about 20%, I want to say over two years. And then also, interestingly, a pretty significant decline from church attendees about their willingness to change. So, so, so my theory around this yeah. is, um, I think, and and it's interesting that his um, research is about how the pandemic is impacting people, right? Because I think that directly correlates with how the pandemic is impacting people, um, because there is everyone's overwhelmed, right? And and everyone, I think the pandemic actually gave us a break for hmm. a lot of people. A pause, a forced pause that yeah, for some yeah. people was really traumatizing, right. you know, and really raised anxiety. But some people, they were like, what am I doing? Yeah, Like, this true. is so hard. Like, why am I killing myself at this job to, like, you know, get all these things that don't make me happy? Mm-hmm. Or, like, go on these, like, vacations where I'm stressed because I'm, like— trying to make it an epic vacation, right, you know, because right. I get like one a year, you know, kind right. of thing. And so I think it caused people to reflect on what's important and what's meaningful. And I think people want that from the church, but clergy are exhausted. Clergy, it's really a challenging job. Like you have to be a, an administrator, a public speaker, um, like pastoral, a therapist, like I mean, community organizer, yeah, fundraiser. I mean, we and we talked about, or this was talked about, what I think yesterday about are the models, yes, of clergy changing from what priest, prophet, preacher, yeah, like prof- to activist, community organizer. I forgot the other one, right? And and I think that is a v- extremely daunting task yeah. for individuals, right? And um, so often clergy go into ministry because they had a great experience in the local church. Right. And then you get into leadership and right. you no longer have the community yeah. because of, um, you know, boundaries, expectations, all of those kinds of things. And so you're in this space of like, we're supposed to love each other. This is a community. We're supposed to support each other. But I am set apart and I am so isolated and alone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's a beating. Right. And so... Um, I I think the statistics uh, are a direct like representation of people in the pews are needing more because they're overwhelmed and mm-hmm. they are noticing how dissatisfied they are. Um, and then clergy are in the same space, but clergy don't have the capacity to meet that growing need. And so then everybody's like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Like it's it's going through the motions because as human beings, we need ritual, right. we need tradition. That's important, but it's hollow right now in this space. And I don't know how long that will last. I don't know um, what that will look like moving into the future. And I'm not saying it's universal because like um, Dr. Sessions was talking about yesterday, her community, the gathering, that sounds amazing. I'm like, oh, I want to get online and, you know, be a part of that. (laughs) Um, And so there are places that are maybe cutting edge or maybe they have something else going on. Maybe maybe it is a central focus and identity Mm -hmm. that really is helpful. And I think a lot of mainline denominations 
um, especially because there was a lot of transition with COVID for right. clergy moving because right. it was such a hard experience with ideologies and um, conflict yeah. um, that people are like, you know what, I'm just going to move. I, I can't deal with this conflict. It's too much. It feels too big. So I'm just going to shift somewhere else and start over. Mm-hmm. But in that, um, being in a period of transition uh, is really unsettling. And it's like, where's our identity in that? Mm-hmm. And as a new leader in a new like context, I want to respect what the community wants, but then also I have my own ideas and how do we bring those together? Um, and then how do we grieve what we've lost? Right. Uh, and I think we don't really do that well either. Um, so I think all of those things kind of lead to the statistics that we saw in Dr. Thama's research. Yeah. So let's go about it this way, because I think one of the interesting things, and I, I sat in on Kinsey's presentation yesterday, and I think one of the things that I appreciate about your work is that it's not just like blame COVID, blame this, blame that, blame the churches, which, you know, let's be frank, like there is some plenty of blame to go around mm-hmm. that we need to change systems and, and work for more equality and, and justice in some context that can lead to a lot of clergy frustration and burnout and and, and wounding. Um, but you you talk about like some of our own stuff, <laughs> which... I'm hesitating because I know my own stuff and like, you know, I won't share what it is yesterday, but like I'm watching or, you know, I'm I'm in this presentation with Kinsey and she's going through these three ways. Maybe we should talk about this here. These three ways that clergy tend to deal with stress or conflict. And I'm like, oh man, (laughs) that is me. You know, it's it's like that, that Facebook meme, like, report this picture because that's me and i don't like it like mm-hmm. i was like uh too close to home too <laughs> close to home so if you know me well you may be at a guess what it is uh, i will not reveal for sake of boundaries um <laughs> my own personal boundaries but let's talk about you list you know and i think correct me if i'm wrong here but it kind of reminds me of like you use different words but kind of reminds me of like the flight flight or freeze mm-hmm. Use, compete, avoid, and accommodate. Mm-hmm. So talk about the ways that, what that might look like for clergy. Yeah. So, um, and what I'll say about compete, avoid, and accommodate. One, they come from Ali Shapiro's work, which is the truth certification okay. I went through. Um, that's part of her framework. But it's, so it's not just clergy. It is a universal human mm-hmm. response. And what I love about doing the stress response discussion and talking about it is it is always different depending on the group um and people there are always aha moments that i love so much you know just in that like hour conversation people are like oh my gosh yeah that is stop looking into my brain <laughs> like you like pinpointed it and i'm like yeah cuz it's universal i was like, just like i was just like kenzie can you see how quiet i am right now yeah. like is it that obvious <laughs> that i'm like oh bleep Right, right. And so often, you know, like there are some people that were, will share, but then other people that are really quiet. And I'm like, mm-hmm, they're processing. I yeah. see the the wheels turning and and really looking at it as um, the goal and the goal of Restore Clergy, the Restore program is to help people identify what is the stuff mm-hmm. that you are bringing to the table. And when I say, um, you know, like 
compete, avoid, and accommodate, they're just typical stress responses where we get into these dichotomies. So like it's all or nothing, good, bad, fantasy, catastrophe, um, you know, all of those kinds of things. And when we are in that space, we lose creativity, we lose connection, we lose compassion, Mm -hmm. we lose courage. We go into a, um, what I call locked and loaded, you know, like we are in a defensive state and it is so hard to feel the movement of the spirit in that space. It is so hard to see people in their woundedness because our woundedness is butting up against theirs. And um, it is... The more that we can, so my goal is the more that I can help leaders of congregation congregations figure their own stuff out. My my hope is in that, then they can help their people do that. And then if their people can do that, if congregations can do that, what can we do out in the community? How can we help the world understand um, this is your stuff, this Mm -hmm. is my stuff, I'm going to deal with my stuff so that I can help you deal with your stuff. Yeah. Rather than like, you're bad. I hate you. Right. You're a hateful, awful person. I'm like, no, probably you're just in a defensive maneuver and you're scared. Yeah. But it's 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 hard to be vulnerable. Right. And I think especially um, in the world that we live in with these like snippets of moments, um, it takes time for our nervous systems to calm down and to allow mm-hmm. us to connect with other people. And we can absolutely do that virtually. Um, but there's just something about being in person and being in someone else's presence that um, speeds that process up. So that's why Restore is a hybrid. It's like, you know, functionality, um, you know, and practicality. Virtual's awesome, but we also need time to be in each other's space to really be like, I don't know, let me get a feel for you. Like, let me let me see how I feel about you kind of thing. Well, and if I can make a a pro church moment like this is probably also i think why being going to church matters and being in community with people mm-hmm. is cuz we can kind of be like oh they're a human being like me right right and it's those in between um conversations like right. the hallway conversations right. you know like just those acknowledging other people just even a smile you yeah. know walking down the hall those moments are lost and and then we're so isolated like working from home and again it hybrid models are amazing and i think they are desperately needed because then we can also find community with people across the country right. across the world um and find like-minded community there but there is something about being like in someone else's presence um that I think does things physiologically that we don't fully understand. Right. I mean, I know there's lots of research on it. I don't know what all of it is, but it makes a lot of sense to me, you know, thinking about that. Um, and so there, there is, I think that's where the church can really shine. Um, but it is maybe how do we facilitate that in a way that is, you know, still spreading the news of like Jesus Christ and that, you know, dealing with worthlessness and belonging, mm-hmm which are, again, core fundamental things that I yeah. see. Um, like, you know, Jesus is a great salve for all of that and and can really, you can carry that around with you and have that community around that central um, driving force. So one of the things I really appreciate slash hate about your model is that it really is like a, what can I control 
And you work from an, an internal family systems lens, as I understand. Mm-hmm. I'm like to say I'm a student of family systems theory. So there's some crossover there, obviously. But I think it, from my context, and I know I'm guilty of this myself, there can be so much of like, it's their fault. They're screwing me over. It's the system. And again, I don't want to diminish or dismiss the really, the very real um, prejudice and bias and oppression and injustice that people do encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also important. And from my perspective, I don't think we're getting enough of this, of this idea of like building up our own resiliency. Yeah. So why do you think that's so important? I I think when we are more resilient and when we, it's so much of understanding what I call our stuff. Mm-hmm. It's because it allows us to interact in the world and with other people from, to use IFS, internal family systems language, from a place of self. So capital S self, mm-hmm. our true self. And when we're in that place, there's, there's curiosity, yeah. there's connection, there's compassion, there's courage. Yeah. So, and there's there's eight C's. So you can look that up if you want yeah, to. Yeah, I'm like, you know? I got to write that down, but yeah. I guess I'll look it up. <laughs> it's in, it's in, it's in, we talk about it in Restore, but it's just internal family systems model, the eight C's. So why that's important is because then we have more clarity about what is a systemic issue mm. and what is mine. Wow. And if we can understand what is ours, then it doesn't control us and we have more clarity. Yeah. And we can interact with the systemic issues from a place of, um, again, courage is the best in clarity uh-huh. rather than defensiveness yeah. and anger and vitriol yeah. and resentment. You know, so it's not like it gets rid of the brokenness right. in our systems. Right. But I think we aren't as triggered by it. We aren't as um, uh, defensive. We mm-hmm. aren't as, it, it, we can come at it more from a place of like, okay, so I see this. I see this. Do you see this? Right. You know, we can help other people see this. Um, and then as a collective um, and and coming at it a place from there is collective wisdom in the group. How do we address this rather than like a defensive space of like, how am I going to get mine? Right. How am I going to keep right. myself safe? Which I think I totally get. Yeah. Like, like we are physical beings, you know, like uh, we are bonding mammals, you know, like all of those self-protective maneuvers absolutely make sense. And if we can move into that space of higher spirituality, like seeing the um, how we are alike rather mm-hmm. than how we are different. Yeah. Man, the collective wisdom there and what we could do. But we are, so many people are in a space of, um, I've got to protect myself. And again, I come at this from a place of privilege. Like mm-hmm. I don't have as many of those forces operating right. against me. Um, and so that's another reason why this is so important to me because I have more capacity and maybe I can help people that don't have as much capacity to increase their capacity um, to understand what is yours, what can you deal with, and what is just the broken system. And once we have that clarity, then it doesn't feel so personal and it doesn't shut us down. Let me ask this then. Like, what do you think, what's a helpful, I don't know, question or framework for a pastor to think about, like, is this me or is this the system? Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so what I have found to be really helpful, if if, if it feels the level of intensity is really oh. um, a warning of, um, and also if you, so some people don't feel their feelings very well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, and I think a lot of pastors in general are pretty cognitive. Yeah. So um, if you don't, like maybe if you feel really angry or you feel you feel really sad, yeah, you know, like, um, and maybe you notice your thoughts. Maybe you've got a lot of self-critical thoughts, or maybe there's a lot of um, critical thoughts of someone else. Um, that can be a warning light that it's like, oh, I think my stuff is active right now, mm. you know. But but for me, it's really kind of a body sense of if I feel restricted, if I feel confined. Um, you know, like we want to look for a place of like expansion, a place of abundance, a place of um, there is enough. There is enough, you know, and God is in this place and God provides like bounty and all of that kind of stuff. So if we can shift into that place um, and it's a felt sense, it's not about how much money we have, mm-hmm. the house that we live in, you know, like like physical safety. It's more of like a felt sense of I am okay. Like, I am going to be okay. And um, that's when I know that I'm in more of a self, self place um, because it's, it's, it's a feeling. But um, anytime you feel real intense emotions, I think that's a pretty good indication. And it's like, oh, I got some extra stuff going on mm-hmm. here. This is about me. And it may not be just about you, but your stuff is definitely active in the interaction. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's another question I'm thinking about. Um, there's another a guy who specializes in uh, family systems theory, Steve Cuss, who are hopefully going to work on getting back on the pod. Um, he has a phrase, and I think he has a book coming out to this point about like how, especially for clergy, uh, what we say we believe about God does not actually match how we live. And he 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 talks about like internally like we we think that god is loving and compassion but we but we can have a real harsh self-critique do you see that play out do you think with clergy i mean obviously um someone like steve cuss you know he's working from a more traditional evangelical framework theologically but i i think this idea even really plays out in mainline or progressive spaces where we have such an abundant loving view of God, yet I'm not sure similarly if clergy like live that out. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what what I'm thinking of as you're um, asking the question is, um, I think when we are at our best, so we are in that, again, that self space, Mm -hmm. we truly do experience God in that way as Mm -hmm. loving, as abundant, um, as um, moments of awe and moments of joy. Right. But um, it's when our stuff is active and when we're acting out of a place of scarcity, we're acting out of a place of fear and anxiety, um, that's when it doesn't match up. And that makes a lot of sense for me because we don't have access to um, like the Holy Spirit in that place, we are in a place of self-preservation. It's it's and it's such a human experience, um, and and I think 
what's hard about that is we don't even realize we're doing it. And especially if you're in a place of burnout, it's like, that's what you're living in. And so you can feel hypocritical. You can feel like, how do I talk about a loving God when it's like, what am this, this sucks. Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, this person in the pew reminds me of my dad who used to yell at me and I am all kinds of triggered and I have no interest in being compassionate to mm-hmm. them. Like that's, that is fundamentally a human response. Yeah. Um, and I think what's hard for clergy is, is like, we are expected to transcend that and yeah. to be able to yeah. like, you know, speak of God's loving kindness. And it's like, I'm not feeling it at all. You know, it's real, and it's really hard to speak about it and not feel, like I said, I can't think of a better word, but hypocritical, which can then wear on you. Right. Of and and I think that's why a lot of people leave the church because it's like I can't live out what I'm preaching, and it yeah. just feels so bad. Yeah. Right. 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 Because like you know, it's like the um, you know, it's, I don't know if you heard this when you were in seminary here, but it went around when I was in seminary here. Like going to seminary is like training to be a, a chef, learning how to cook. But then like, you know, pastoring a church is like running your own restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like there's some elements of cooking involved in running a restaurant mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, but all those elements of running a restaurant can be like, man, this is not what I want to do. And mm-hmm. it can feel or conversely running a church when you're like obsessed with budget. And I mean, I don't know, maybe this is something that I need to work on, but you know, I imagine for many pastors, it's like, I want to get paid. Like I want to be able to pay my mortgage or my rent. Right. So like I'm stressing about money. Um, and it's like, this, this isn't what I signed up for kind right. of thing. Right. Right. Well, I mean, if we, if we don't feel safe, you know, thinking about like Maslow's hierarchy right. of needs, if our basic needs aren't being met, which if we don't have enough money to um, feel secure in our ability to pay our rent and like allow our children to do extracurricular activities or like go to camp, you know, like all of those things that we grew up and we value mm-hmm. and we want to provide for our children, it's like, I mean, I grew up in the 80s and like the cost of things in the 80s is a lot different than the cost of things in 2023, you yeah. know? And and so, you know, there's, again, the systems are broken. Mm-hmm. We have all of these external things that are making that a lot harder. But when we, again, are in a stress response, it's like, um, I'm oftentimes we'll make it about ourselves because then at least we can control it. Yeah. But then it creates so much shame because yeah. it's like you actually can't control it. Right. It's a broken system. And so then I'm failing. And there's all this shame I spiraling. Mean, yes. And all of these like TikToks and everything on social media about how you can biohack your body or how you can like, um, you know, be more productive. And it's like, no, it's you're you're gonna end up feeling bad about yourself again because the system is broken. Well, it seems like there's three. Re- there may be more, but it seems like there's three responses. There's like the shame spiraling. There's like the, you know, biohacking, like you say, like you just need to self improve. Yeah. And then I think there's just like the outrage where we can just like I'm just gonna be angry and mad at everybody. Yeah. Right. 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 And then because at least then I feel safe. Yeah. I don't like it. Right. And it's really stressful and it's really terrible for your body to right. be in a state of rage or shame right. or like trying to fix your body all the time. Like, I mean, it's just when we get down to it, it's it's all about it's all about worth and belonging. Yeah. And um, 
And and that seems very simplistic, and it, it is such a hard thing mm-hmm. to get to, to make, connect those pieces. And that, y'all, that's my jam. That's what I'm, like, really good at, like, helping make those connections. I love it, um, and I think people are fascinating. Um, and really helping people to dig down in there and figure that out without spiraling into shame and without, um, you know, like, how can we feel rage and anger without it destroying our relationships or without it destroying our bodies? You know, yeah. how do we, and, and grief and yeah. loss, oh, so much grief and loss. Um, how can we do that in a way that is cathartic, mm-hmm. that is healing, that is building resiliency rather than tearing us down? Right. Cause it's not like, it's like you're not saying like, oh, we shouldn't be angry and upset about injustice we just can't like live out of that yeah anger and injustice right right it's like how can i how can i see this and how can i work to change it from a place of um i i am angry but i am not full of rage i am not like actively um you know, like I don't have a cortisol spike. I don't like, I'm not like, you know, my nervous system is up and amped. And and that's sometimes, you know, sometimes that feels good. Sometimes yeah. it feels good to like yell right. and get it out, like protesting and things like that. Like it can be, that can be a very cathartic thing. And if you have a tremendous amount of stress in your life already, that can tip you over the edge hmm. where you then crash. Yeah. And then you can sink into a depression or, you know, have panic attacks. You know, there's there's all sorts of things um, that can come from too much of that. So it's, and it's for an individual person based on their physiology, like what is a good amount? Where's the balance? So, I mean, it's like food and exercise, like yeah. all our emotional stuff. It's, we are physical beings and very complex. Well, I want to keep this conversation going, but uh, for sake of time, let's, let's, uh, let's do this. Uh, I know you want everyone who's a pastor to go to Restore Clergy and check out your work and how they might be a part of it. Uh, But for those who, in the meantime, let's say, right, (laughs) what are a couple, three things clergy can do for themselves? So, um, well, let me start with what Restore Clergy offers, because we we do have like a free monthly clergy okay. chat. And so that's just a Zoom session. It's for an hour. It's on Wednesdays. It's 11 o'clock Pacific time. Um, so and that is just you go to my website, restoreclergy.com, and you sign up for that. You get the link and you can show up if you want to. And okay. we have different topics. Um, but a lot of it is I just want people to be able to bring what they're dealing with. And then we have a conversation around it. So conversation like this. Yeah. And who knows what might come from right. it. You know, I have I have like a f- I offer people a topic, but oftentimes we shift into other things, yeah. which I love. Yeah. Because um, it's meeting the need that is is showing up. Um, And then I have the year-long program, and you can find out about that on the website, too. And then I do different talks like this, um, the stress response talk here. Um, But if none of those options um, are a good option, I think community is really important. and and community outside of your little cluster, you know, like we, especially as clergy and denominations, regions, um, annual conferences, you know, I'm in the Methodist and Disciples system, so that's the language I have. But, you know, most um, clergy gatherings, 
we can we can get competitive slightly um, we can, yeah, yeah we can start talking about like numbers and how many people and like this is all the programming and and maybe it's trying to focus on like but what change are we actually doing yeah and not necessarily even justice change i think that's important but Sometimes it's really helpful to look at what kind of internal change are you noticing in yourself? Yeah, because if we're just like sitting around, like I think this happens in mainline circles. I think it's just like we sit around and complain about like how our churches are dying and we're like frustrated yeah. with the system. Right. Which to some point is cathartic, mm-hmm. but like it doesn't really lead to any, right. I don't think, growth. Right, right. Uh, oftentimes we can leave those situations feeling worse. Yeah. And so then we avoid it. Yeah. And so then we're more isolated. Yeah. Um, and so it's looking for spaces where there's more intentionality about what's your experience? What are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Or what are you thinking? How is that helpful? How is that impacting your ministry? What are you noticing in your people? Um, but oftentimes we do just complain about how hard it is. And and it's like, yes, that's true. And what do we do about that? Mm-hmm. Like, do we just stay stuck, you know, and we're in this shame spiral and there's nothing to be done? Or can we get creative and start to experiment and think about it as, what if I showed up on Sunday and had an outline instead of a script. Hmm. Could mm-hmm. I could I work through that anxiety? Could I could I be in a place of I'm going to allow some off the cuff movement of the spirit here and you know like some people are like oh my god there's so much anxiety <laughs> around that which so so maybe that's too big of a step. Yeah. Yeah. Um but you know just changing things up like whatever feels rigid and locked and um stuck is there a way that you can make a shift and that could be that could be in your body mm-hmm. you know so it could be um i feel terrible and like you know the doctor's telling me i need to lose 50 pounds or i'm going to die or whatever it's like okay that's intense <laughs> you know right. like um you know any kind of restriction and locking and loading is not going to be helpful it's probably going to back like um make it worse right so is there a shift that feels expansive maybe i can think of moving my body as like a spiritual practice like like i was talking about like going outside Mm -hmm. um getting some sunshine breathing fresh air like walking it doesn't have to be big but it's like where is that sweet spot of it is challenging and i feel the intention and the shift but it doesn't feel so big that it's like i'm not gonna do that like I, you know, in my best moments when I wake up and I've got my caffeine high, I'm like, yes, I will do this all but, the time. And it's yeah, like, you're no. not going to have the willpower for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, especially in burnout. So Yeah. yeah. Well, this is good stuff here. Let's take a break and come back with some closing questions uh, and uh, recommend folks check out her website, which is www.restoreclergy.com. Perfect. All right, let's take a break. All right, we're back with Reverend Kinsey Tate. So I hope this conversation has been helpful for our listeners. I know it's been helpful for me, and I appreciate uh, perspectives here. Uh, so these closing questions, you can take these. I always tell folks as seriously as, as you want. So if you're Pope for a day, what do you want to do? What's what's your big uh, agenda? So 
Um, I was thinking about this, and mine is it's it's not a big agenda. It's more personal. Okay. Um, so my undergrad was in um art education, and it's like I want to see the like special pope. Oh yeah. Like um like all the art, yeah. all the history, all of the things that the Vatican owns. Yeah. That it's not public. Like that's what I want to do. I want to see like all the special pope stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like what was the what was the 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 s- stupid book Dan Brown. Uh, da Vinci Code. I mean, like, I'm sure there's some, like, super secret Da Vinci Code stuff in there, right? Like, <laughs> right. there's some element of truth in that that would be pretty intriguing to check out. Mm-hmm. Um, a historical Christian uh, figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? So, um, I actually was thinking about this as um, I would like to bring Paul back to life, and not so much that I can ask him questions, but to get his perspective on where we are as the church. Oh, I would be really interested to hear, like, if he had any idea of the influence that he would have, mm. how that makes him feel, knowing that maybe his work was interpreted in certain ways that are exclusionary yeah. and make people feel bad rather than like helping them live into like who Jesus Christ is and all that kind of stuff. So again, from my therapist mindset, I'm like, ooh, I wonder what he thinks about that. So uh, I, 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 th- I sort of think like Paul would be kind of like grumpy, super grumpy. What do you think? Like, I, so, what, would Paul, what would his, I'd be like, he'd be like, you know, I think he'd be like rager, but also like, but also like what I was just reading this passage. What is the passage where he kind of like talks about his own when the flesh, there was some like awareness with him, right? Mm-hmm. Of his own brokenness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I honestly think he would be sad. Oh yeah. I think, I think he'd, he would be sad and potentially horrified by how his work was interpreted to Whoa. exclude okay. and to hurt people because I mean, he was so passionate about Jesus, you know, and was mm-hmm. like, and you know, we all as clergy have been in that space of like, yes, I feel the presence of God and like experience the beauty of Jesus Christ out in the world. And then you talk about it and people, you know, like in the receiving line, it's like, oh, that's what you heard? <laughs> that's really surprising. <laughs> yes. That is not what yes. I meant to say, but that's really interesting. I have been there. Yeah. I have been there. Yeah. Well, you know, Kenzie here is kind of in a unique space for mainliner, like being pro-Paul, I guess, <laughs> Paul sympathetic. <laughs> and it's maybe because I'm not like uh, preaching about yeah. this stuff all the time. Right, having to crap <laughs> a sermon from that. Right. <laughs> what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Um, I think we are in such a state of flux. And Mm. I think Dr. Thumma's um, research is really showing that. And even the Barna studies um, talking about where we are. I don't know. I don't know how to predict that. I think we still need a good decade or so to really understand the impact of what we have been through as a collective globally, Mm -hmm. you know, the impact of the pandemic um, and just, you know, the divisiveness and the vitriol that is in our society. Um, I don't know. I hope that's not our legacy. Yeah. But, um, you know, maybe it will be. Um, but I believe in the, you know, I'm an, I'm an optimist, if you can tell. And um, I believe in the power of the, the human spirit. And I believe that God is alive and active. Um, and if we can deal with our stuff and get back into a place where we can experience that, beauty will come from this. And, and I, I'm going to reframe that, if I may. Yeah. 
because this has been really helpful for me. Henry Nowen, if I'm getting this right, talked about hope not being simply optimism, but hope being based on God's past mm, work, right? Yeah, yeah. And Dr. Thumma talked about churches being optimistic, being better. And in our conference, that was kind of critiqued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think fairly so, there is there does need to be some like processing of grief, which we'd agree. Mm-hmm. But A, like I was thinking about, like he's a sociologist, he's not a theolog- right. theologian, he's not interpreting it. You're not thinking about it, boy. but also like I was thinking about like to me, I think it is important if a church is gonna be like we know that God has worked in our past in the midst, and we believe that God still has things to be done mm-hmm. in our city. Like that's a song, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's I don't think that's hope. That's not optimism to me. I think that's hope, and mm-hmm. that's what I hear from you. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's. That's our faith, yeah, too. It's right. that belief of this is not the end. Right. You know, this is, um, yes, things are going to die, but there's resurrection on the other side yeah. of that. You know, thinking about the church and the way that we do church and and those, um, the rigidness, the rigidity that we have, maybe that needs to die so that something new can be reborn out of that. And I absolutely believe that that is our history and and it's going to repeat itself. Yeah. So the, the the last question I usually ask is like hope for the future of Christianity, but let me reframe that too. Like, what do you hope for pastors? What do you pray for pastors? Um, man, I pray that they do not lose hope. Mm. That they know that they can realize that there are people out there that want to help them, that believe in what they do, see the beauty of it, and want to support them, and that they are brave enough to reach out to that and and allow themselves to be vulnerable, find that safe space where um, they can just be human mm-hmm. and not the pastor, and they can um, step back from their stuff so that they can become aware of it um, and begin to heal Good stuff. What's your website again? How people can get in touch with you? It's restoreclergy.com. And yeah, all my information is there. Um, So I hope people will reach out because I'm all for doing this work and I love it. Awesome. Well, I always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. And with you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.